Hey there, Conquerors. This is episode 60 of Conquering Columbus. And we've got a great show lined up for you today. Special guest, Mr. Rick Mailer. And for those of you who don't know Rick, he is the founder of City Barbecue, which has over 30 locations now in four different states, but it started right here in Columbus. Uh, we think it's an exciting story. It's a lot of fun talking to Rick. So hope you guys enjoy this episode and learn a lot about barbecue. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more and check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. And one last thing before we get this episode rolling, Conquerors, we want to hear from you. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Uh, today on the show, we got Mr. Rick Mailer. And Rick is the president and co-founder of City Barbecue, and uh, he grew up in rural Kansas before heading to Kansas State University to get a degree in agricultural economics. And from there, he worked for a while at John Deere and their marketing and dealer development team before deciding to strike out on his own and start a barbecue restaurant. 
and he partnered with a few local gentlemen to get the idea off the ground. And today, City Barbecue has 32 locations across four states, and Rick is still the president and co-founder. Well, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rick. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on the show today. So we were talking a little bit earlier, but how's your day going? Uh, it's not bad, not bad. I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for the weekend uh, for two reasons. One is when our sales are better, and two is <laughs> I probably will be doing some fun stuff. Yeah, you're five five thirty on a Friday. You're a trooper. Normally yeah. we uh, we get these interviews in during the week. I like the Friday ones though because everybody's a little bit more relaxed and you kind of get you know more of a casual, laid back side of somebody. So. Yeah, well, I, ha- I actually have vodka in my glass, so that's really keeping me <laughs> relaxed. Uh, in case you were wondering, so no, we're, no, we're good. We're good. It's kind of the way that we'd like to kick things off is maybe start from the beginning and talk a little about your childhood and your upbringing, and then we'll really dive into um, the grit that it took with starting City Barbecue and all the things you guys have going on. Okay. The, uh, it's interesting when you were reading that intro and you said John Deere and marketing, and then we went to the restaurant business. Um, that's, a, that's a natural segue for any young entrepreneur is to sell tractors and combines and then <laughs> go into the restaurant <laughs> business. But I, I feel like I've heard that story before a couple of times. I, I you know, maybe locally here, there's got to be a few Steve people. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, right, they Jobs. all started with tractors. Yeah, well, it was, <laughs> I was, it was, it was trying to make that work. But uh, I always had an entrepreneurial bent, and uh, I grew up on a farm in Kansas out in um, out in rural, rural America, a town of 800 people, had 19 in my graduating class. So pretty small school. Uh, you guys are wrestlers. We didn't have wrestling in our school. It was too small. Uh, but played football and uh uh, FFA member and all that kind of thing and uh, the farm though was a great a great environment to grow up in and to get a work ethic because now every day feels like vacation because after you farm for uh, a few years as a kid life seems easy after that but it was a great background and uh, and, and I still enjoy going back there yeah, and you know I think the farm is kind of like America's original entrepreneur in a way you know when when we were just, and I'm talking way back when we were just getting started, still kind of moving west, you know, people would always, there's people that were taking risks going out, like, hey, I'm going to go out, start my own farm, get my own land, and that's how I'm going to make it. So it's always interesting to, uh, I've just always enjoyed learning more about farming and how that process works. But Josh, you look like you were about to ask a question over there. I was just going to say, yeah, segueing in that, it's like, you know, when you're a farmer, the, the grind really doesn't stop. You know, it's kind of a 24-7 yeah. lifestyle. and. You hear about, I didn't grow up on a farm, but just having friends that have that have told me about the experiences, I mean, it sounds ruthless. I'm very happy that I grew up in a neighborhood with a bicycle and, and no corn <laughs> around me at all. <laughs> no, you know, it, it, but that's the way it was. We didn't know any different. You know, our, our uh, claim to fame and our bragging points was to go in on Saturday night and drive our old cars we souped up and do things we shouldn't do. But, we, uh, but we'd brag about how hard we worked that week. That's kind of what we did. And, and it was a good experience uh, from that standpoint. I... I did really enjoy it and, it, and it gave me sort of an entrepreneurial spirit because you are independent out there and you don't have office hours. You know, you work until it's done. You don't work until, oh, it's five o'clock, it's time to leave. No, you just work until it's done. And and you have to be sort of free thinking and, and figure things out. I, it's amazing what I can do with a roll of duct tape and, duct tape and bailing wire. Now, I can <laughs> fix a lot of things with that because sometimes you just have to figure it out. So what kind of things were you guys farming? Uh, cattle and wheat. Uh, was mainly it and we put up hay in the summer for the cattle we farmed we had a little bit of milo and my great uncles uh, were actually very entrepreneurial and they went out to western Kansas during the dust bowls of the 30s when farmers were going broke they took the money they had and went out and lived literally can't make this up in a boxcar 
a, a train box car out in the middle of nowhere and just farmed and built up acreage, um, bought out farmers who weren't doing so well and just kind of lived like about as, about as tough as you can live. But then the rains hit in the 40s and the war hit and, and prices got better and they actually ended up uh, retiring fairly wealthy guys. So yeah. maybe a little bit of entrepreneurialism has always been in my blood uh, through the generations and things. You know, it's interesting to say that because I was talking to somebody the other day who's pretty big in the real estate and community. He talked about how 2008 was some of the best years of his life because he got in and he had all these this money saved up when the times were the roughest. And he, he got into that point. And now, you know, he's just been excelling ever since. Yeah, so, smart guy. Yeah, it's like it's like the people who really can recognize when times are the toughest that they can recover from those situations and find a way to kind of leverage the negatives and turn them into positives down the road. Yeah, it's a great academic concept. A lot, uh, not too many people can figure it out. The ones that do, they do really quite well. Yeah, That's the podcast the industry is like slowly, so we're waiting for it to boom. You're waiting right. for it to boom, yeah. Right. Until, yeah, yeah gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Been, we've been waiting a year for it to boom. Now I don't know. You know, maybe we should. Uh, well, this kind start of stuff takes time, boom. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, so obviously growing up in rural America was barbecue part of your life? Yeah, a little, little bit, you know, and, and I grew up in a Czechoslovakian town of all things, oh, so man. I'm three quarters Czech. And uh, because some of my relatives weren't so smart, they weren't smart as, when they were coming across the, the plains, I mean, they literally got off the boat in Ellis Island. So uh, it, when they're going across the plains, they weren't smart enough to stop in Illinois, but they didn't keep going to get to the flat stuff in western Kansas. They stopped in the hills and rocks in central Kansas. And that's where all these checks uh, uh, ended up. And so that's my heritage. And that and that's the kind of food I probably grew up eating more so. I got introduced to barbecue in college. Mm-hmm. And I had some buddies um, at school at Kansas State University. And they cooked some killer barbecue and, and just kind of talked about it a lot and taught me. And that, that was sort of where my interest started. But it really wasn't about cooking it. It was about eating it. I just liked to okay. eat it. That was good. And I think that's a good transition, you know, talking a little bit about Kansas State. Like, what was your experience like in college? Uh, did you plan on being a farmer? Is that why you went into the agricultural economics? or No, I, I, I took ag economics because I, I really was a dumbass in high school. I didn't get good grades. I, I didn't study. Um, I went to Kansas State because it was a public land-grant university, and they had to take me. And uh, so I, – and I, and I picked – Ag economics, because it was basically the first thing alphabetical under the agricultural majors. So, and then I figured, oh, economics, that has something to do with money. Maybe I kind of like that. And, uh, <laughs> and so I studied it. And actually, I fell in love with it. I, I enjoyed it. I basically have unofficially an economics degree as well as ag economics degree. And I just enjoyed that. But I was a typical college kid with no money. Um, lived in a fraternity, because actually the fraternity was cheaper than the dorms. And so that, that was a good deal. And I surrounded myself with some smart people who said, you know, you do have to study. You do have to apply yourself if you want to do something in life. So that was a good group to be around. And uh, did a lot of other stuff, drank way too much beer, um, you know, had a good time and studied hard. And, and, but I did get my act together and I got pretty good grades and was able to get a decent job. So then you wrap up college, and then your first job was John Deere right after that? Yeah, it was, because uh, it was interesting in the 80s. You know, now I'm going to date how old I am, you know, what an old guy I am. But, uh, <laughs> and you were seven at this point. Yeah, I was seven right. at that point, yeah. I, was a, I, was ex- I excelled, you know, I was a prodigy economics guy. So <laughs> I, I joined the club. Yeah, I joined the club. And then um, 
and didn't play sports in college because uh, when I played high school football, my coach said I wasn't very big, but I sure was slow. And so I wasn't <laughs> able to wasn't able to make it in inspirational college. Inspirational coach. Yeah, I'm inspirational. Wouldn't make it angled in college. So. Where were we, by the way? I started talking here, and um, we were first talking, job out of college. Yeah, yeah. Oh, first job. So uh, graduated, and it was back in the '80s. That's mm-hmm. how we digressed. Okay, so it was back in yeah. the '80s, and there's vodka in the cup. In the you can't vodka blame, in the cup. You can't blame yourself. Yeah, it, you want some? It's actually quite tasty. <laughs> the, uh, but we, it was in the '80s. Entrepreneurialism was like this French word that nobody understood, or that's what I thought it was. I just didn't really know, though. I think I always, I always was. But you were kind of trained in college back in that day, go to work for the big corporation, go up the big corporate ladder, um, get their promotions, get the big pension, you know, become, you know, the, the VP or the CEO someday. And that's kind of what you did. And that was sort of, I won't say it was drilled into you, but that was just the way society was more back then. And I remember this one guy, he, uh, he still lives in Manhattan. And when he was in college, he started printing T-shirts. And now, like, he's a major uh, sports uh, promotional T-shirt, you name it, everything else guy in that area, owns the big stores and so forth. And at the time, I thought he was crazy. Why aren't you going to go work for a big corporation? That's what you should do. Mm-hmm. But, well, he knew better. He started printing T-shirts, and now he's doing quite well. But that's why I went to work for – not why I went to work for John Deere, but that's why I went to work for big companies. I just thought that's how you get ahead. And so I did that for about 10 years and then realized, you know what, I, I kind of want to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not sure I'm that guy who needs to sit up and be polite in meetings and kind of have others determine my destiny. I'd rather determine my own destiny. And one of the crazy things, I was sitting in an airport in Bloomington, Illinois, years ago, and – I heard Jerry Seinfeld being interviewed on like 2020 or um, do you, have you heard of Jerry Seinfeld or how young are you guys? Yeah, yeah listen to you. I've almost watched all the episodes. <laughs> okay, well, okay, you know what I'm then. So, uh, so anyway, they, uh, um, Jerry Seinfeld said to be the master of your own domain, right? What episode was that from? I don't know it that well. You don't know it that well? Nope. Oh, my gosh. Uh, your podcast fight. listeners are going to go crazy. You're fired from Concord. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're fired what from episode was that from, Josh? Yeah. You get it. Well, it's not my question. It's oh, yeah. Question. Okay, good. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, podcast listeners, please respond on what that episode referred to. It was a classic. Anyway, so I'm listening to Jerry Seinfeld. He's on like 60 Minutes or one of these shows. Mm-hmm. And he said... Um, uh, the reason he's happy with his career and where he ended up is because he bet on himself. He didn't let others bet on him. He just bet on himself. And that was really impactful for me. I'm like watching that going, okay, that's cool. Maybe I should bet on myself. Mm -hmm. So then I started getting the crazy ideas of what company I wanted to start. Yeah, that's an awesome line. So actually in the beginning of our intro, you'll be able to listen to, there's a guy named Corey Gregory who, um, he was the vice president of Muscle Farm and then he just recently started another supplement company he's been involved with. Was he like my warm-up act then? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I, yeah. You told me I was the headliner. Am I the headliner? Well, it's like our intro music. So we got some music and some quotes from previous interviews in the music and he gets in there. Okay, but... But, but you're I, the headliner. I'm the headliner. This, okay, yeah, I want to make sure. Main event. You're definitely the most important thing going on. Because in my publicist event. and my agent said that I would be the headliner yeah. so did they work on right that? right it was it was pretty tough to get past your publicist <laughs> 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 like i have a publicist <laughs> but uh 
Where were we? Oh yeah, but in the in the intro, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Corey, so, Corey, so here we go. Yeah. Okay, let's go. Um, so after we got through Corey's publicist, he uh, he told us when he branched out and he decided to leave Muscle Farm. Um, you know, he was obviously in a cushy job. I mean, super growing, fast growing uh, pharmaceutical, not necessarily pharmaceutical, but yeah. supplement company. And um, he said, you know, I, I won't. People don't always bet on me, but I always bet on myself, and yeah. that's why I'll always be successful. Yeah. And you know that really did that resonated with us too, and we heard it because it really makes you think. You know, it's like a lot of people are counting on somebody else to let them climb the corporate ladder, and they walk into work every day kind of hoping they'll get that break. But if you're always just betting on yourself, getting the job done, things always end up working out in the end. Yeah, yeah. it's a great so, quote. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, so and you, and you coined it. You so. coined it. There it is. That, that, that's right. right. Um, it was great that my warm-up act um, right. <laughs> did that. So, um, but let's talk a little bit. You get the idea to start a barbecue business. Right, logical. How do you go about doing that? And first off, why why did you choose barbecue when you had no history of barbecue when you were growing up? Just hey, I liked it at Kansas State; it was good stuff. Yeah. And and then once you figured that out, how did you say, okay, let's get this off the ground? Because I think that's one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs that that we've talked about with a lot of people is like quitting your job and starting is the hardest part. Getting things off the ground. So it, how and, and they like to skip over that part sometimes right. too when they tell their story. It always just jumps to right. Well, we had our third restaurant yeah. by then. No, it was, uh, well, it, it makes total sense. You know, I'm making really good money with John Deere at the time, making like 80 grand a year, which is pretty good income at that time. And, you know, I'm kind of going up the ladder and I did the logical thing. I came home to my wife and I said, keep working. I'm going to quit and I'm going to start a barbecue restaurant. Right. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, uh, that sounds interesting, but have you ever worked in a restaurant? And I said, no, those are details. So, uh, we, <laughs> but for some reason, uh, I'd been looking to start my own thing, if you will, or, or buy a company, start a company, whatnot. And I was down at a Tennessee football game, University of Tennessee. That's where my wife went to school. And um, there was a barbecue joint there that was advertising franchise opportunities. And my sister-in-law tossed me the napkin and said, hey, I know you're looking for stuff. Here you go. And it said literally, for franchise opportunities, call 1-800-da-da-da. I'll leave the place anonymous. And... I went down a couple weeks weeks later and met with them and realized, ah, they didn't have much vision. They kind of weren't what I was hoping. But on my drive home, I'm thinking, I could do this on my own. Mm -hmm. I think I can. I was 35 at the time. And so, you know, I think I can do this, but I'm, I think I can do this. I don't need a franchise. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but I did have issues. I didn't have a culinary reputation, and I didn't know how to run a restaurant, you know, minor things. And so right. I, uh, <laughs> but... What I was smart enough to do was understand what I didn't know. And so one of our first uh, teammates, and, and he's still a founder of the company, is uh, Frank, who worked in Burger Kings for 20 years. So he knew how to point a sales system work. He knew how you count cash at the end of the night, all that. And then I met up with some guys that uh, were barbecue competitors. And so they really, we really fine-tuned the barbecue technique and, and the side dishes and so forth. And then I was the idiot who quit his day job and put his life, put not his, our life savings, Bonnie and my life savings, uh, plus some into this thing to uh, get it going. And we, we actually technically started as a catering company because we had so many delays in the first restaurant that I was out of money. I was mm. out of cash and I didn't want to go back to those other partners and ask for more money. Uh, I just, I had to grit this thing out. 
And so we started taking catering jobs and I literally started cooking in my garage um, in Dublin in our house that we have. Mm-hmm. And we, I literally put the smoker in the driveway, I uh, made a makeshift kitchen in the garage and I would cook all night and then we would do, do these small caterings. And, and that was up to all the standards for the food safety, right? Oh, certainly, yes. We um, um, we had <clears throat> all of our health <laughs> permits and so forth. <laughs> statute of limitations ran out. Right. So anyway, we uh, but that's what we <laughs> statute of limitations. So so I can exonerate myself. Right. Yeah, we but we we did follow food safety practices. That just the licensing thing wasn't quite there. But we we actually cooked there, and then. I didn't have enough oven space, so I used three other neighbors' ovens to like cook baked beans and corn pudding and things for these jobs. So, so did they ever ask for like any kickbacks on that? Oh yeah, I would like give them free beans, okay. I'd give them a free cobbler or something, and say thank you or a free right. pork shoulder or whatnot. And they still love the stories and 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 they're great stories. But that's literally how we did it. And because I just had to, I got, I had to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. I mean, this had to go, and so that. Kind of provided a little bit of cash flow and things, but also the way it worked out is I think it gave us great marketing along the way too because it got us sort of mm-hmm. um, where people knew a little bit about us even before we started the restaurant. I also remember um, every Ohio State game, uh, football game, I would go down there and pass out these flyers. I'd go to Kinko's. Um, is Kinko's even around anymore? So yeah, I'd, I'd go to Kinko's and get cop- make copies go down and hand these flyers out to all the tailgaters and it said for your tailgate fare call this number and get um, pick up and order your tailgate barbecue spread and it had my home phone number so then I convinced my wife to change our voice or we didn't have voicemail back then we had an answering machine right right answer so machine. change our answering machine to hey city barbecue da, da, we'll, da. we'll link the wikipedia page to those in the show notes <laughs> yeah for all, you, show, for all show our millennials what answering there. machines are yes uh yeah if you could do that maybe show some nice little pictures right. and things from the archives yeah we'll get the high-tech ones in there. <laughs> so yeah show them they you, i bought it at radio shack too so, so i was so about to say the you millennials won't know any of the radio shack what, what's radio throw shack? a picture of that down there <laughs> hey, radio shack Man. so we uh, so i would so then people would call and leave a message and order actually after i passed out these flyers and one weekend i and so then what i would do is take the smoker down on the trailer down to the corner at henderson on Henderson Road down there where our first restaurant is and put it in the, in the parking lot and fill these orders. And one weekend we did like $235 in sales and I thought we were rocking. I thought we were off to the races. <laughs> and then I remember one weekend we got an order for a bunch of stuff, but on the chicken order we only got an order for one half chicken. But that was a good thing. I split the chicken, I cooked it, the other half I had for lunch. So I, I just remember that too. It worked out pretty well. <laughs> and some of those original customers... I still remember them today because they were so memorable when you're trying to get a business going that I still see, you know, if I see them, I, I know them. Like mm-hmm. there's one couple I saw on Whole Foods about a year ago and I walked up to them and they're like going, who are you? And I said, hey, I'm Rick. You were one of my first customers. You bought off the cart on those Saturdays. And they said, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So <laughs> when you're starting a business, you remember every dollar you're getting in yeah. and everybody that actually buys your product. As far as uh, doubt and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, there was one time that I went, what have I just done? It was, we're getting ready for a catering. We're 
full bore into getting the restaurant ready. My cash, everything was committed. I'd quit John Deere. I was all in. There was no turning back. And it was three in the morning. I'm brining chickens in my garage. Uh, and I, I remember thinking to myself, what the F did I just do? What did I just do? I'm all in. If this doesn't work, I'm so broke, so starting over. And here I am. I had this nice job, and now I'm brining chickens at 3 a.m. to hoping that I can, you know, make $400 on this job and just keep surviving until we open. And that was the only time I really kind of had this, uh, oh, man, what did I just do? And then another time that I thought I, that was not so great was um, our first year in business in Arlington, we were gangbusters. We sold a lot of barbecue. We are doing it, and we got cocky. And I thought, well, I can open up another restaurant right away. Well, that second restaurant, I didn't have the operations in place. I didn't have things going. And that second restaurant um, sucked all the cash out of the first one, and I darn near lost the company after we were open about a year by expanding too fast. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole nother story right. of, of expanding too fast but it, it's not easy when you when you start a business you know and that's the we keep trying to remind people of that mm -hmm. and and one of the things we do when we have new managers come in and they're interviewing to work with us if i can i love to take them to arlington and i like to sit them at one of ten tables in the arlington restaurant and i'll ask them i'll say what do you think of this table and they say well it's kind of old it's scratched up but it still works and I said, well, I hope you like it because I built it. Um, because when we were starting, again, we didn't have much cash. I could build that table for about 25 bucks, or I could buy one for 100, something like 130 bucks. And so we built the tables in my garage to get this thing going. And now they're great symbolism of don't forget where you came from. Focus on the basics. Do what you do. It's also like a really cool staple of like Chipotle. We had like a similar situation, I believe yeah. I heard, where they couldn't afford the furniture in their actual first restaurant. So they found a bunch of like old scraps and things like that, threw it together, and now that's kind of their brand throughout the entire nation, which is cool. And it kind of shows the grittiness of getting the company off the ground and building something so special. Oh, yeah. And it's, um, and, and what you, what I would tell any entrepreneur is don't do it for the money. Just don't, because if you get into something because you can make a buck, you're not going to be passionate about it. You're just going to be doing it for the buck. And one, that's not as much fun. And two, you probably won't succeed. But if you find something that you're darn good at, that you love doing, that does have a niche. Um, barbecue had a niche in Columbus, Ohio. Um, there just wasn't a whole lot of competitors in what we were doing in that space. And it all seemed to work out. And I just found out I love serving people. I love being in the restaurant, I like seeing happy people. I love building our teams. Um, we, uh, we, you know, I, I send personal notes to any team member that gets an attaboy from a guest. Um, we just enjoy doing that, and we think we can, um, we're, we're trying to break down the stereotype also that restaurant working is bad work. We, we are the best first job you'll ever have, or we can be a great career for you. And, and we believe we can achieve that and, and provide some great opportunities for people, too. Yeah. So maybe let's go like a 10,000-foot overview from, you know, that first restaurant. And like you mentioned, you know, almost losing both of them in a year to um, where we are at now with 32. How does that expansion process look like? What have been the difficult 
parts of expanding and how are maybe I guess what I'm interested in is how is how are things different in different states? I know Ohio or even just different cities. Yeah, it's uh wow that's a that's a three hour question. Right. Uh, you know, expansion is is challenging, especially when you go across states because you can't be I can't be in 31 places right now. Uh, it's just impossible. So you have it's my job is pretty simple. It's to look five years down the road. And it's to find the best talent I can, who will then find the best talent they can, and just have a relentless focus on what we do every day, and that's selling terrific food. And our purpose as a company is to, is to serve and create happiness. That's our purpose. That's why we get up every day. And if we do that, if I do that, if our teammates do that, we will sell food, we will take care of the guests, we will make money, and everybody will succeed. Um, but, it, but you have to have, in our business, you have to have that attitude of service. So the way we spread that is it's all about infrastructure and building and, and getting great people. I used to do all the training classes. Well, now we have a staff of four that does that. I used to do all the accounting. Now we have a staff of about seven that does that, and on and on and on. So you just have to slowly but surely hire great people to take over responsibilities and give them the authority to do that job. and and the pride to do that job well. And so, uh, and as far as rapid growth, uh, that's something that if you're starting a business, don't try to go too fast. I, I just told you that I damn near lost the company when I went from uh, one to two. You, you don't wanna get cocky and think you got something that maybe you don't. Go at a steady state. And uh, there's a great book by the Collins folks. Uh, they wrote Good to Great, and I can't think of the name of this one that they wrote also, but it talks about the 20-mile march, and I really took that to heart. Steady, sustained growth. It's not as sexy, but you will get there faster, and you will get there in a more solid way if you do that. Because, you know, I was young, and, you know, just you want to conquer everything today. Well, Mark Zuckerberg is a, is a freaking unicorn. I mean, guys like that, those, those things just are so rare that most great businesses grow in a good, sustainable way. Yeah, yeah I will say out of all the people that we've talked to, the ones of like the true gritty American entrepreneur story are always my favorite because it's just organic built growth where they had to learn all the lessons the hard way. Yeah. There are several areas we almost failed. Um, but I would almost like to dive into a little bit more detail, if you don't mind, in, to that first restaurant. So you were you were doing things out of your out of parking lots, mm -hmm. and then you found the Arlington store and you mm -hmm. opened that up, and then you kind of developed the business model in there, and then you tried to branch out into another location. Yeah, what we did is, um, and I and it was I for about a half a day till I told my wife, and then it became we very quickly. So what we did is. Uh, we went into the Arlington restaurant with what we thought was a pretty solid model. And the vision I had for City Barbecue is it's almost like a Jerry Maguire moment. Uh, do we need to explain Jerry Maguire to the millennial crowd? Or is that <laughs> I think most too? people have seen Jerry Maguire. They mean, okay, Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. Show me the money, yeah. Well, it was my Jerry Maguire moment where I literally kept thinking about the, the concept of what this would be, and I couldn't sleep anymore. And I got up at about 1.30 in the morning, got out of bed, got a bunch of blank sheets of paper, made a pot of coffee, and just started writing what the vision for this company would be. About 5 in the morning, I was done. I had it. And it was odd because probably 90% of what we do today was written that night <laughs> and how the experience would be, how the guests would feel, how our teammates would be treated, how we would try to 
um, have teammates empowered to take care of the guest and really do what's right, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you, you, you make the greatest plans, right? You, you have the best game plan in football and then, or you guys are wrestlers, I assume, you have the best wrestling plan in the world until the whistle blows and then you got no plan, right? Because, because things happen. So we went into that first one with this plan, but we came out of it with a whole little bit of a different plan in terms of how we would sell, what would happen, et cetera. Um, but the basic values of scratch kitchen, take care of the guests, treat our teams well has never changed from day one. Uh, so looking at that, I told you I expanded way too fast and got that second one before we had number one figured out. Then we did number three after about four years because I wanted to take a couple years and just say, let's settle and try to some way figure out what this business model looks like. So how did you manage to keep both restaurants and I have to get rid of either of them if at a certain point it sucked all the cash out of almost all the cash out of both of them like what what did you change that allowed you to keep both of them uh I stretched the hell out of my payables mm-hmm. um I paid my bills but uh payroll got paid right away things like gas bills the guy would come and collect it out of my register I mean these are dirty ugly secrets when you're trying to survive and um you know, I just had to really kind of stretch things. And then about when March and April hit and volume started picking back up, then we got over that hump and kind of could catch our breath. And then, and then we were okay. Okay. Also, I didn't pay myself. So did you, did you, <laughs> when did you, like what time, what season did you open up the, the first? We the opened second? in December of 99. Okay. And then we went that summer where we're rocking and rolling. We opened our second one, something like September, or October of 2000. Mm-hmm. And then that fall hit and volume started dropping because of the season. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know that. We didn't know that our volumes would drop during, during after Thanksgiving. So when those volumes dropped and all my bills are coming due, mm-hmm. it's not a good combination. Right. So it was kind of like a perfect storm almost yeah. of just everything. Uh, excuse my French, but the shit hit the fan. Yeah. And uh, it was time to uh, really stretch things out. So I guess, and then so emotionally and personally from a personal standpoint, you know, what, how, what got you through that, Mark? Well, um, when I was lying on the sofa, my wife, Bonnie, said, you know, what if it doesn't work out? You're really smart. We'll get back on our feet. She could have come over to me and said, hey, you dumbass. I told you not to do barbecue. <laughs> uh, but no, she was very supportive. She was cool about it. She kept working, um, you know, so, you know, we could eat and that kind of thing. And I just kind of muscle through and not try to look too far in the future, but just try to make every day kind of work out and stuff and uh, we never we never stuck anybody we always paid our bills we paid all of we paid everybody we always made payroll but it was every it was literally for about four month period I'm looking at my checking account every day hoping I got enough money to pay the bills tomorrow and during those slower times during the winter uh, so that really taught me about don't overexpand, don't get crazy just stay at a good sustainable rate and, and don't get outside yourselves because, um, you know, some people say, well, we got to grow, grow, grow where the competition will catch us. Well, if you're doing it for that reason, then you're probably going to implode yourself anyway. Why not just grow at your good sustainable rate and be a good solid company? And, you know, I think there's a point where certain models work for certain people in certain spaces. And for some people to try to blank that across a whole industry, I think is just very inaccurate when it comes to, you know, grow as fast as you can otherwise competition is going to get you and you know it's not the same for every niche and right. your brand um, but you said one thing in there where you were talking about a few 
few minutes ago where you got to be passionate about it and you got to do it something when it's not the money and then you talked about waking up at you know midnight and going till 5 a.m and write those visions and what's funny is um i think i know mike has felt it and i've felt it these things that you get caught up in life where you almost feel like you're in a flow and you're so passionate about it you don't realize that you're up at one in the morning doing something for it and it's situations like that where you probably if you were doing it for the money wouldn't have been up in the morning and maybe you wouldn't have had the same vision and values you have today so it's pretty cool to hear um, one thing that really sticks out to me in the restaurant business in particular is people's ability to provide high-level customer service and consistency, especially when opening multiple locations. So when person, somebody comes in one day, they're getting the same level of quality of food they are the next day. Was that a struggle for you guys? Or did you have people, cooks in the kitchen, who were masters of what they did and that helped? No, it, it's a struggle every day because, uh, first of all, uh, it was interesting what you just said because the first five years of the company um, – I didn't really, I, I basically made enough to sustain life, but it was, my friends were at the country club and I wasn't doing that stuff. I mean, I was just trying to go, but you're right. You're sort of in this zone to where you're just not thinking about anything but what you're doing. And it took a toll on our personal life a little bit too, because you're just so in that zone. So it's very insightful what you said. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there, any business people that are trying to really get somewhere would say that. Um, but as far as consistency in the restaurants, uh, we're a scratch kitchen, and we don't want to go the way of pre-made food. That's just not what we're going to do. So the challenge is always there to how do you create training programs, have um, consistency audits, uh, empower people to, to train and do it in a consistent manner. That is a, that is a whole science in and of itself. The easy way out, is to just say, eh, let's go get frozen fries. Let's go get GFS pre-made potato salad. It's good enough. The, the second we believe we do that, now we're not distinct. And so we work very hard uh, to have that consistency through just a lot of training and development and mm -hmm. employee retention. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that stems from the fact that you bring these employees in saying that I want to make a career out of your life rather than just a temporary job? and the way that they represent themselves within your different restaurants across the four states? I think the Scratch Kitchen actually, people pride themselves more at City Barbecue, more at City Barbecue because they are, they can stand in front of the guests and say, do you like the potato salad? Yeah, it's great. I made it, right? That's pretty cool. Rather than, do you like the potato salad? That's nah, okay. Yeah, we get it in and I scooped it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a whole different mentality for us. And I'll tell a great story of our um, teams one, one time. I, I thought we needed to get into spiral sliced hams like 10 or 12 years ago. And um, so we were doing these spiral sliced hams, and they were coming in pre-cooked, and then we were putting some glaze on them. And I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but we were going to do this. And we did it for a year. And then one of our um, pit men, uh, actually pretty much a pit master today, Chris Clever, uh, who's been with us since virtually day one, said, he basically said, Rick, what the hell are we doing here? Why are you doing this? And I said, well, because everybody's doing spiral sliced hams. And he said, well, why are we then? And why do we have to do that? And, and so I kind of got my senses together. And so now we do an artisan cured ham that's truly ours. It's truly unique. Um, and the team uh, smokes it themselves in each location. So they take a tremendous amount of pride in that. So I think there is some secret to... When you have your hand in the craft of what you do, it probably helps employee retention and so forth. Yeah, I, I definitely think I could agree with that. You know, and taking pride in your craft is like one of the most important things you can do, no matter what it is, every day. Yeah. 
And I was looking around the room here. We got a sign back here in the corner. Um, we're in the conference room here at your guys' home office in Dublin, and it says uh, improve a little each day. So I guess it made me think about what kind of culture you guys have here that that sign to be on the wall. But I, I wanted to ask you, what is the culture at City Barbecue, and how have you instilled that culture in each of your locations? Uh, well, culture, first of all, the greatest – by, by the way, improve a little each day. I stole that line from Coach Schneider at Kansas State football. That was his big deal, <laughs> and uh, it's worked out pretty well for him. But anyway, the uh, culture— He probably stole it from you. Him and Corey are just lining up. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Schneider has a few years on me and a few more uh, successes under his belt. <laughs> uh, I'd love to meet him someday. I've never met him. The When we— uh, look I'm at, sure he's listening. Yeah, I'm sure he's listening. That's right. Come on, get this thing out there. Right. You know, I'm. You 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 told me through my publicist and agent that I would be the breakthrough interview that would just right. catapult this podcast exactly. series. Well, we'll run some targeted Facebook ads that are like directed only at him, and uh, we'll see if we can get him to listen. Okay. Yeah, we'll drop it off at his house. Yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so when we when we talk culture in our company, we talk it a lot, and. First of all, a great definition I heard of culture is uh, culture is not Blue Jeans Friday or culture is not having a massage therapist uh, come in every month and give everybody a neck rub or whatever. That's not culture. Culture is the behaviors you exhibit every single day through having consistent behaviors and how you act. Then you get a culture. So the behaviors that we have is high integrity. Um, We do not like actually I just sent an email today. We have an argument with a vendor over something, and it, it's a it's a couple thousand dollars, and I and I would rather just pay him the couple thousand dollars on that particular instance because it's a gray area than to lose any type of integrity. Um, so we believe in high integrity, uh, treating people well, treating our guests well, and so it's just a series of many many behaviors um, in our company that we push that that hopefully translates into a positive culture. And candidly, it starts with me. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm some crooked sleazebag driving around in my Ferrari, you know, dude, that is a behavior, right? And then that translates, not all sleazebags drive Ferraris. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> Josh's too, dream car is a Ferrari, I, I, but I, I, I mean, he's I a sleazebag. I want to so. respect the Ferrari drivers <laughs> out there, but... But you, you I'm get still the, out of cobalt. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more of a sleaze bag than that. But 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 you get you get the picture of you know that's a behavior, and then that translates to your teams. And so culture does start with me because I have to exhibit the right behaviors and how I am in the communities and what I'm doing. And and it is it's it's sim- it's as simple as that. You it's how you behave every day and what you stand for in the vision. And then that will translate out there. And ways that I try to spread those behaviors is we do a thing called One Minute with Ricks where um, every week I, I talk to our entire teams through sort of a podcast environment, only it's video. And we talk about things in our company that are going on. Um, I have breakfast meetings with general managers at least twice a year in every market. So we can literally sit down at a table like this, have breakfast, and really find out what's going on. Uh, that's all very important to us of how we spread that culture, if you will. What's your go-to breakfast item? Oh, man, that's a great – well, you know the best breakfast place in Columbus? And, and Demo's going to be uh, pissed at me because then he's going to – maybe you'll have some more customers – is uh, Hella's in Shawnee Hills. 
Hell's and Shawnee Hills has a killer breakfast. For an, I like First Watch as a chain, but Hell is um, go there if you want just a killer breakfast. So he, he doesn't item. want more customers. What, what's it? He said he's, he's going to kill you because he's going to get more customers. They're already want. pretty full. Okay, but I, you know, just eggs and sausage, man. You can't beat that, right? Yeah. Well, it wasn't on Got the outline, so it's an acceptable, yeah. acceptable answer. <laughs> so one thing you said, I mean, one thing about culture is it's kind of become to me like a buzzword like marketing. Nobody yeah. can really define it, but I really like the way that you defined it and you described yeah. it. Because I think it's it's wrapped in everything. It's like a, kind of like water that flows through all the operations and everything that all your employees are and what they do. And what's unique about the company that Mike and I work at right now, we're a startup, we're still in such a small stage that our culture is just grittiness and making it through every single day and mm-hmm. we're growing together and everybody's really passionate about what we're doing believe in this vision and it sounds like you guys are in the exact same way where you you have this vision that you're instilling in these people and you guys are still growing and you're still you know you're not in mcdonald's or anything like that yeah. you well know? And, and not everybody buys off on it i mean we're we're not perfect we have over a thousand employees and um a lot of former employees that didn't maybe get that or didn't want to we've had managers that didn't get what we we're trying to do and they maybe would get greedy and do things, and you got to kind of flush flush those folks through. But um, in the in the end, it's a long game, right? We're running the marathon, so you just I just get up every day and try to keep doing the right thing, go in the right direction, and hope things uh, work out. So, and then what does the future look like for you guys, and, and where do you see you guys moving forward from here? I'm looking for a gold chain and a Ferrari. So um, join I, the club. Yeah, I'm really doing. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, where we want to go is, is we just did a partnership with a, with a private equity firm called Freeman Spogley, who are terrific guys, and about a year ago, and that has given us a lot of fuel for better sustainable growth, and it's nothing but positive for our teams, and so uh, we're actually opening locations in Atlanta and Chicago right now this year yet, and then we're just keep uh, going on that sustained growth. So we're, we're not trying to take curve you know to a crazy um we're not trying to do a hockey stick here we're we're just want to stay on a really nice steep growth curve and do it in the right way and the way we look at our company is a new restaurant is a reward for running the current ones well so as long as the current ones are run well and we're providing guest satisfaction and we're serving and creating happiness then new restaurants are a reward for that if we start falling off the tracks then we'll probably start slowing down our restaurant growth too so the future's fun. I'm just getting started. I'm 52 years old, and um, if you haven't figured that out yet, by all the references <laughs> over the, all the they're so confused. You were seven at 1980. Yeah, and... it's like we'll keep them confused. But the uh, but we're I'm just getting started. I think it's a lot of fun, and we're really building our infrastructure um, to uh, to to take advantage of that. And when we started the company, I always said well, you're in three businesses, no matter what business you're in. You're in the people business, you're in the marketing business, and then you're in the business that you're in. Me, it's barbecue. Well, there's a fourth business we're in now, and that's called IT, whether you want to be or not. It's amazing the, the investments we have to make in IT just to sell barbecue sandwiches. But it's fun, and we're going, and we never want to replace just the face-to-face of what we're doing. What's been the funnest part of that growth for you, like in terms of, I mean, you've obviously switched from working in the business to on the business. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy doing the most now? Uh, talk, looking at the future, strategizing, figure out how to solve problems, uh, figuring out how to make our menu better, um, how to make our brisket even better. Uh, just th- those are the fun things for me. And, and looking at people grow up and, 
in, in our system and succeeding and you know kid come to me and say yeah I bought my first car or, hey we just bought our house or that's the cool stuff that's made possible because of what we've done but what really excites me is the whiteboards in my office and just trying to look and say okay what's the future going to look like how do we need to how do we need to take care of the the guest in the future uh, how do people want to order in the future all of those kind of things is, is a blast to me plus i love looking at menus and food and mm -hmm. i still am a rabbit eater i love to do that stuff yeah and as we kind of start wrapping up here i i've been looking over here in the corner we got some of your uh different barbecue options here yeah where do you come up with these names we got swine wine brush fire that looks like sweet, sweet city. city so that one makes you know probably a sweeter barbecue but yeah. but where, where you come up with swine wine and brush fire we have a very um we have a very uh creative marketing team and uh we we have a couple of graphic artists in our company that have the best hair in the world for graphic artists they both um, are just very creative guys and they both have the longest hair so I make fun of them all the time <laughs> um, but they come up with this stuff and it's always pretty spot on and cool Perfect. I used to be the creative one now we have so many creative people that I just kind of look and go that's pretty cool right yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> so and uh, one of the other questions that we always like to ask as we're wrapping up the show is kind of focused around the theme of our show it's called live uncomfortably okay um, and it means a lot to us but uh, we like to kind of ask what the phrase what do you think of when you hear the phrase and how does it apply to your life and story? Live uncomfortably? Uh, great question. Um, I think of it, I'll, I'll address it in the business life, is never be satisfied and you never arrive. Uh, you just don't. Life is a great journey and you just got to enjoy the journey. When I think of life, I think of when I ride my motorcycle. When I ride somewhere on a motorcycle, it's not about getting to that spot. It's about the cool journey along the way. So when I think of living uncomfortably, that's what I think of is life is a journey. Um, and in a business, living uncomfortably is, is, a, is also never being satisfied and never saying we've arrived. Uh, it's, it's always striving to be a little bit better, but also be able to look at yourself and look in the past and say that was pretty cool and it's fun. It's easy sometimes to always be thinking so far ahead that you don't enjoy what you're doing right now. And, and so that's a delicate balance. So I guess live uncomfortably is never being satisfied, always, always learning, always pushing it just a little bit. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's a great answer to that question. And uh, we really appreciate your time on the show today, Rick. Is there anything you want to say before we sign off here? Uh, eat more barbecue. Um, we're coming up with a new sandwich here shortly. What other commercials can I get in? And we're doing brisket tacos right now. So there you go. Right. Everybody go get some brisket tacos. And uh, thanks for listening, Conquerors. We hope you guys learned a lot about barbecue and Rick's story. And hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. If you liked that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could... Do us a big favor, check out that podcast app you're listening to us on, and go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, 
They are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. And if you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus and have your message heard by conquerors across the city, please reach out to me at mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. There will be a quick survey in the show notes of today's episode. And if you guys could fill that out for us, we'd really appreciate it. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.